that if I don't have the words uh, of my own to speak, uh, maybe I can find them in scripture. And, and so I solicited from all of you uh, words uh, from the word uh, that have meant something to you. And you have not failed me. Uh, each week, uh, there's uh, an endless supply, it seems, of encouraging words coming from the word. Um, I'm still taking them. Uh, so if, if some of you uh, are still interested, uh, please, by all means, uh, send them my way. At some point, we'll have to stop the series, but I, uh, at this point, see no reason to, uh, so we'll continue on for a little while. Uh, I look forward to, to hearing from uh, any and all of you. Let's begin today with a word of prayer. <clears throat> God, our Father... In the stillness we come. And Lord, as we walked through that back door this morning, each of us brought our own backpack. And that backpack was filled with different things. For some, it is fear. For some, it's shame. For some, it's guilt or distraction. There are life's concerns and worries that are weighing us down. There's a sense that I just want to give up on all of it. Whatever it is that's sitting in that backpack right now, God, I'd ask this, that you take it off of each and every one of us and you throw it out the window that's over there and you help us to sit in your presence truly that we might learn what it is that you have to speak to us today and that you give us a clear word, a voice straight from you. God, we love you and we want to follow you with all of our very being. And this morning, I pray that each of us gives over one more piece of our heart or our life to you. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As I was uh, preparing for the sermon today, uh, it's a sermon, I'll just go ahead, it's, a, it's about fear. Uh, it's a sermon about fear. And so Paige uh, really teed it up uh, in a way that um, certainly is of the Lord, I'm, I'm certain. Uh, and I came across a, uh, a podcast that uh, I hadn't listened to in a while, and the podcast itself was about fear. And I thought, well, this is great. This, is, uh, this should prove to be a wonderful sermon illustration, and it will be. Uh, it's about a rock climber, <clears throat> this guy named uh, Alex Honnold. Do you know Alex Honnold? Do you know the same? Does anybody know this name? Uh, no? Uh, have you seen the documentary... Um, Free Solo, do you know this? Anyway, yeah, yeah, a couple, okay. So Free Solo is the idea uh, that the, the rock climber uh, takes off all of the normal gear that you would uh, wear uh, to protect yourself uh, from falling. Uh, and uh, they just simply, all natural, uh, climb a rock face, right? This, in my mind, sounds... Uh, dare I say, stupid. Uh, and uh, it, just the thought of it 
is fear-inducing to me. Like the thought of like, like being on a rock face and looking down. This guy takes it to uh, kind of the next level. And in two, do you remember the movie, I think it was Mission Impossible 2, I can't remember which of the Mission Impossibles, but Tom Cruise is up there and he's, he's, <laughs> he's climbing the rock uh, face and he's having to like, you know, swing around and do, yeah, I want you to get that visual in your mind uh, and then the feeling that you felt uh, if you ever saw this that like just sheer terror. Uh, and then this is what Alex Honnold does in real life. Uh, Tom Cruise had the ropes and all the, you know, the gear to keep him safe, uh, though he was, I think, doing the stunt himself. Uh, Alex uh, does this for real. And so in 2008, he mostly climbs in Yosemite. And in 2008, he, um, he was the first person to ever climb Half Dome. Uh, doing this, right, which is, uh, you know, a significant feat. And so he finishes uh, climbing Half Dome uh, free solo by, without ropes, uh, and the very first thought he has is, well, now I have to do the bigger one yet, El Capitan, right? Uh, that was his first thought. And so he, uh, he comes down the mountain and he walks over to the base of El Capitan, and he looks up at it, and he says, nope. <laughs> uh, he, he said, there's no way. It's just not possible, right? And so he knew his limit in that moment. He, he knew he couldn't do it. And yet, he, he hung out at Yosemite and was there regularly, and every now and again, he'd kind of walk over to El Capitan, and he'd look up, and he'd think, well, maybe, just maybe, someday, maybe, maybe I can do this, right? And um, time goes by. 2017, he gathers together a film crew, and they film him going up El Capitan. He makes it to the very top, and it's something like three and a half hours of a climb. And um, so the host on this show says, how in the world could you possibly overcome the fear that it takes, right, to, to climb this? Because at some point in that three and a half hours, surely right, fear is going to set in. And so how, how did you do this? And they spend an hour talking about it. And it, was, it was actually a wonderful interview. It was illuminating. It was fascinating. And we'll come back to that in a moment. I want to begin our scripture today. It's Isaiah chapter 43 and start in verse 1. Isaiah the prophet is speaking literally the word of the Lord. He says, kind of the classic line, now thus says the Lord, right? And so Yahweh speaking through him, right? He says, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. And I've talked a lot and you've heard a lot, surely, uh, about God the creator, right? And, and you should think in these terms. It's a beautiful time of year to think about creation as fall is happening. This is a different sort of creation that is being referenced here. It's not the creation writ large, it's, it's the creation of a specific people group, Israel, Jacob, same thing, right? 
And uh, as I was kind of reflecting on uh, the sermon today and preparing, the, the image that kept coming to my mind, and I still, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm not sure why, but is the image uh, of an artisan clockmaker, right? Uh, and, and this clockmaker creates this beautiful creation with all of its gears and in, in intricacies and its, its scales and its, uh, the little birdies that come out and chime, you know, and, and the bells, and it, and it all creates itself, in, and, and this, this artisan creates this beautiful thing that is the clock. And then it falls over and gets destroyed. And the gears are here, there, and everywhere, right? And it seems that all is lost. And this is the place that Israel's in. They're, they're actually not in Israel. They're in, again, Babylon, right? They're, they, they have been exiled. And God comes to them, and he says to them, Listen, I know you. I know you really well. In fact, I formed you. I created you. I created this, this clockwork, right? I know all of the gears. I know all of the pulleys. I know all of the chimes. I know every piece of those little birdies that come out and, and chirp, right? I know all of this. And I know it looks terrible right now, and it's strewn all over the floor, but I am God the creator, and I can recreate you. I would venture to say God is saying the same thing to you this morning. You in the pew. He's saying, I, I know that all looks lost. I know that things feel dire. I know that things have been hard. But don't worry. I have created you. I know how you function. I know what you need, and I am ready to recreate you. The next line is the line that I've already said is where I want to focus our real attention. And the line is that God then moves from forming Israel into saying very clearly in this dire situation, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, and you are mine. Fear not, right? Fear not. Now, uh, God says this any number of times throughout the Bible, but I really, for some reason, I'm drawn to this one. He gives us a few reasons why it's worth not fearing, right? I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. I created that clock very intricately. I know what I'm doing, is what he says, but I need you to trust me. I need you to trust me. To trust me with your life, right? I need you to trust me. And he looks straight in the eyes of those Israelite people and he says, you are mine. And he says that to you this morning, right? He says, you are mine. I know you. I put you together and I can make this right. I can put you back together again. 
And he says, fear not. Fear not. Question worth asking is, how in the world do we not fear in a situation like Israel's in? They are indeed exiled into Babylon where it seems like all is lost. But God's a creative God. He knows how to get them out of this situation. And so if we can come back to Alex Honnold for a second, the rock climber, the man who goes up El Capitan without any ropes, there's a few things I think we can learn. So as the, uh, the podcast went on and, it began to, and the man began to interview him, uh, it comes out that at some point, uh, some scientists wanted to study him because uh, his brain seems to function differently than everybody else. And so what do they do? They stick him in an MRI machine. And then they begin to uh, like put scary uh, pictures up, you know, uh, things that normally in a normal functioning human being would frighten you at least to some degree right? And so they, uh, maybe like pictures of spiders or like people who are scary and maybe about to stab you or uh, who knows, right? And so uh, what they found in this MRI machine is that his uh, amygdala was non-responsive. The amygdala is the center where, you know, the fight or flight kicks in, where the fear response kicks in, and his is just like flatlined, he had like zero fear in ways that you and I would most certainly have fear. How is this possible? Now, it's possible he uh, is like brain dead or something, but that's actually, it is possible. Uh, but, but I don't think that, it, that's not how he explained it, okay? How he explained it is that uh, it's not that he doesn't have fear. He says that he does actually have fear. And in fact, he gives a TED Talk uh, in which he's like shaking and very fearful of, of public speaking. And in that moment, I felt pretty good about myself. You know? <laughs> uh, he says he does, it's not that he doesn't have fear. He does, but he says that he's essentially trained his brain over time, right, for, to deal with the fear. He's got these techniques uh, to, to, to learn how to, to conquer his fears. And he's learned, for example, that fear is an emotion. And so if uh, you can just channel that emotion in a healthy way or in a helpful way, then uh, you can use fear uh, for you. Uh, he recognizes uh, fear for what it is, which is that uh, as an emotion, it's something that can come and then it can go as quickly as it comes. And so he just kind of waits for it to leave. He also uh, recognizes that some of the physiological symptoms of fear, uh, certain like uh, you know, butterflies in the stomach or the tightness of the chest or the, uh, the pounding of the heart, uh, they could uh, be perceived in other ways, uh, ways like excitement. And so uh, he reframes how he thinks about his fear as they come in and as he begins to experience it, he thinks, oh, I'm excited as I'm climbing El Capitan, right? Uh, and so he translates all of these negative emotions into positive emotions. But the key, really, and the thing that I would uh, kind of want to set our trajectory on 
The answer is a, a little more simple than that. How, how does he conquer his fear? Well, he has spent his lifetime with so much fear and in a place where he's constantly battling this fear, he's actually grown quite comfortable with it. It's almost like fear is a friend of his and he knows it quite well and he knows when it comes in and he kind of knows how to get rid of it and when fear sets in, he simply says, I've been here before many times and I'm going to be just fine. Now, uh, the story of uh, Alex Honnold, the rock climber, uh, I will say is a pretty cool story. This guy's a pretty cool guy. Uh, I do think there's something to be learned about fear and fear management from him. And if there was, this were a TED Talk, I might head in that direction. I think we need to ask, is this what God is saying in Isaiah 43? Is uh, Alex's fear management God's explanation for why he says do not fear, right? And the answer is no. That's not, this, Alex has some really great fear management tools, and I would commend them to you. But it's not exactly what Isaiah 43 is about. You see, the world, and Alex in this place, uh, is teaching us that, well, we need to rely on ourselves. And we need to, to look within, right? You've probably heard this message any number of times. Look within. Uh, the answer is somewhere in there. And Isaiah 43 is actually telling us to look in a very different place. That the answer is outside of ourselves. It's outside. That the answer is, is to look to God, to, to, to trust in God's ability to rescue us in this situation. Most recovery programs like uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, for example, know this quite well. As part of the, the steps for a recovery program, there's usually one step that includes this recognition that I can't do this alone and I have to what? I have to reach out and find this outside source. They used to call it God and I think now they, they just say it's some sort of divine power or something. But uh, the point being is it's this recognition that I can't do this alone and that I, I have to find some other outside source who's capable of coming in and getting me out of the mess I've found myself in. And this is exactly what we find in Isaiah 43. I think it is exactly what the gospel is. It's the recognition that we, of our own accord, we can't do it that I have my own limits, and that as much as I want to look inside, what I really need is to look outside and to find a savior in God. And so Isaiah 43 makes it very clear that it is God who has redeemed us and is saving us, and our response to all of that is quite simple. <laughs> Trust, right? Sometimes we call it faith. Faith or trust. And you might ask, why trust? 
or at least I did, and I came up with four reasons. I could have come up with a laundry list of reasons. Why trust God? Well, if we believe God is who he says he is, well then if God is for us, who can be against us? Someone said that at some point, right? I'm kidding, it's in the Bible. Uh, if God is for us, well then who can be against us, Right? The second thing is that God's vision of this life and my life is far bigger than anything I could see or you could see or even we could see collectively. And so his ability to look beyond, well, it's much greater and it's worth trusting him to lead me through these difficult times. Thirdly, God's knowledge is limitless, right? His master plan includes our redemption, making all things new. It may not look exactly like we want it to look, but God is putting that clock back together. And he promises that the, the new creation will even uh, supersede the old creation. That what we have to look forward to is, is going to be better than that original clock that he made. We trust because God promises that in the end of it all, as Julian of Norwich says, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. And Paula Virgin, uh, just two weeks ago maybe, gave me this quote from a book she's reading. I'm now reading it. I'm enjoying it quite a lot, Paula. And, uh, and she says that the, this uh, Episcopal priest in it says this very thing, all things shall be well. And then he goes on to say, and if all is not well, well, then we aren't at the end yet. <laughs> we aren't at the end yet. I think that's worth keeping in mind. Isaiah continues, 43 verse 2, well, it gets to the waters part. When you pass through waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And here, what you should put into your mind is Oregon Trail, right? Uh, so they are traveling from Babylon west back to Israel, and they're living in a day and age without bridges, and they're all traveling in a huge caravan together, and they're having to ford rivers, right? And this becomes a very dangerous, treacherous journey. And anytime you come up against a body of water, you suddenly, well, you find yourself in some danger, right? And so what happens? Well, you have to ford the river, and God is making it very clear here that when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you, and through the rivers, those river, rivers, they won't sweep you away, and you won't lose half of your caravan. Uh, you will make it over uh, to the other side. And then it goes on, and I, I would imagine the Israelites get the first part of that. And then they hear, and when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. And if I were the Israelites at this point, I would say, wait a second, <laughs> I get the water part, but I really don't understand why I'm walking through fire. And God, of course, is talking about more 
than just water and fire. He's talking about our trials. And he's talking to Israel, yes, back then, and he's talking to you right now, and he's saying, yes, you are going to walk through trial and tribulation. This is part of this life. And then he makes promises as to what's going to happen. We need to take a close look at what the promise is. Is he promising that we won't get wet? That we won't feel the heat of the fire? Or that we won't be in dangerous situations at all? And the answer, of course, is no. That's not the promise. God doesn't make this sort of promise. He does say this, though. He says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. I'll be with you. He promises his presence. And the question you have to ask yourself, is God's presence enough? God promises to be with you, but is that enough? I came across a quote this week that I quite liked by a guy named Ben Patterson. And in it, he says, God always comes alongside us in our waiting and our suffering, but it is rarely to explain what is happening to us. Rather, he comes to speak of his love for us, to assure us that he is near, and to tell us what he requires of us as we wait and as we hurt. Yikes. You see, sometimes I want God to just take away all the the waiting and all the hurting, right? Or, better yet, I want God to come along and say, here's why it's happening. I don't know about you, but I have certainly said myself, why? Why does this keep happening? Why is my life so hard? Or why has this happened or that happened? I am a huge proponent, you should hear this uh, loud and clear, I'm a huge proponent of the question, why, in life. Especially young people, I think this is an important question to kind of ask over and over again. I'm an advocate for asking questions generally, and if you can find the answers to questions, that's great. You should search the ends of the earth for those answers to your questions. I think this is wonderful. However, I think it's worth all of us knowing that at some point in life, some point, you will reach the end of that search and there will still be questions on the table. Sometimes that why will still be hanging out there and you just won't know. At some point, and only you can determine when this point is on your journey, you are going to have to be okay with continuing on without an answer to the why. There is still road yet to walk. And it requires, shocking, trust. Requires faith. Because here's the thing is having answers in life, 
that puts you in the driver's seat or me in the driver's seat, which I actually think is great. But it's not faith, right? That's not faith. That is called human achievement. When I figure out the answers to something and it gives me the power to do what I need to do, that's called human achievement. And I think that's a wonderful thing. But let us not confuse that with faith. Faith is something different. Faith is when I don't have the answers. But I trust. I trust in the God of the universe who I'm walking after, who I'm chasing after, and I'm trusting to get me to the next step and to the next step and to the next step. Faith is not having the answers and yet, as Psalm or as Isaiah 43 says, we are trusting that God's presence is enough. That when God says in Isaiah 43, 2, that when we pass through waters, I will be there with you, faith says that is sufficient. It is trusting that God has been there in the past, God has seen me through in the past, and God will see me through again in the future. It is trusting that God's vision of the world and your life is far bigger than what you can see, and if you follow him, the road will lead you to where he wants you to be. And he is leading all of us toward the same end, redemption, putting that clock back together. I do want to pull Alex back in our conversation one last time here, because I think there's something he can teach us in all of that, in all of this. What Alex learned is that repetition of scary events can lessen his fear. And he went so far as to say that for him, doing the ropeless climbs on rock faces that he has been doing so many times is for him now the equivalent of going for a jog like you and me. When we go for a jog and, and you, get, you start to get that runner's high, that's what he does on a normal basis when he starts rock climbing. Like he just, he, there's no fear in it, it's just enjoyment. He's managed to conquer his fear in that way, right? It's only when he tries something that pushes the boundaries of his past experience, like when he climbed El Capitan, that he begins to actually wrestle with fear. And I think there's an analogy here with faith and faith building and trusting God that we should make. There are people in my life and probably in yours too that have trusted God so many times and have been met so many times by God's grace and by God's presence that they are professional faith walkers. They're good at it. And they don't fear quite as much as they used to, and as maybe you or I do still. What might freak you out is just a walk in the park for them. It's invigorating, it's enjoyable, and with enough time and practice, I think we can build up the ability to trust God and to lean on his capacity to care for us. When we do this, we train in this way. It's not that we train ourselves to trust ourselves more, it's that we learn to trust God more, which is the significant difference 
between faith building and learning to trust ourselves more that Alex is doing. For the Christian, I defeat my fear not through my own will, not through my own power, not through my own strength, but through my faith or through my trust in Christ at work in and through me. That's what faith is. Isaiah 43.3 gets us to the final piece of where we need to be. And it's a quick one. It concludes the little passage this way. It says, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I'm going to stretch this last word just a little bit. I think it's fair, though. Because the word Savior here is a common Hebrew word, Yeshua, which is where we get Jesus' name from, right? And in this way, of course it is Jesus, ultimately, who saves and who redeems us, in whom we trust, right? And in a few moments here, we're going to do something that the church has been doing for 2,000 years, which is we are going to take communion, we're going to come to the Lord's table together, and we're going to remind ourselves of what happened. And as we do this, it's worth remembering Not just Christ's death and resurrection. That is, of course, this is what we're doing. But that through that, Christ and God is redeeming, was redeeming, will be redeeming the world through him. He is pulling that broken clock back together. And there are two things that I want you to be thinking about as we take communion together. And the first is mission critical in my mind, is that this event that happened 2,000 years ago that we're reminding ourselves of is that Christ redeems or purchases us with the blood that he shed on the cross. Ephesians 1.7, in Jesus we have redemption through his blood. It's the same word that gets used in that Isaiah passage, right? Redemption. And here it is again in Ephesians, applied to Jesus' death. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, he is putting our clocks back together that we might be a changed people. But the second thing is this, I do think that as Christ lived his life, he showed us the way, the way that we too are supposed to live our own lives. And so Christ walks the path of faith before we ever do. And when God says to the exiled Israel people, way back in Isaiah 43, that they are not to fear, well, Jesus shows us exactly what this looks like. There is a faithfulness and a trust that Jesus himself demonstrates for us and to us so that we might know what it truly looks like to follow him 
and to trust God. So this morning, as I prayed, I asked that think about those backpacks that we're wearing and the fear that might be in them or the trial or whatever it might be. Whatever fear you bring, whatever trial you're going through, my prayer is that in these moments that are to follow, you'd be reminded that Christ has redeemed you through Christ and Christ has shown us the way forward through faithfulness and that we are becoming a restored people together. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the gift that is your Son, Jesus Christ. The God of the world, sending such a gift, is truly difficult to put our minds around. That you loved us so much, that you wanted to redeem us so much, that you sent your one and only Son to die on our behalf, that we might find righteousness through Christ. God, we, may we in turn become people who are faithful, who trust you in the same way that we watch Christ trust you throughout the Gospels. God, I pray in this moment as we prepare to take the elements that, um, that we come to you with our sin and that we confess it uh, openly to you and that we prepare our hearts to be redeemed once again so that we might live in holy union with you. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to have the band play just a little bit. And as we do, if you don't have the communion elements, uh, they're in the back. Uh, otherwise, let's take a moment to prepare our hearts. God, we bow in reverence, in respect, in awe, and in adoration for the person of Christ, the words of Christ, and the cross of Christ. Fill us now with your Holy Spirit afresh 
that our worship in this moment will bring true honor to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and genuine consolation to our souls. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the uh, Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The body of Christ broken for you. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, the blood of Christ shed for you. <clears throat> 